welcome if you're on Zoom and watching, and uh, obviously welcome if you're here uh, with us in person as well. You're very, very welcome and good to see you all. Um, just a couple of notices before we uh, get going. Um, tomorrow morning, uh, coffee stop, there is a, there is a carol service, so um, if you're around and want to come. The carol service begins at 11 o'clock and everyone's welcome. Um, the, the sort of coffee morning starts at 9.30. Um, the prayer meeting will be happening as usual tomorrow morning at 9.30. So that again is, is open to everyone. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Christmas Day, um, slightly earlier start. So just bear in mind, we start at 10 o'clock uh, next Sunday morning on Christmas Day. So uh, yeah. Um, and uh, if, uh, if you've got grandchildren or children coming along, uh, please ask them if they could bring an unopened present to uh, open during the, during the service. Yes, let's, thank you. Let's do lunch uh, on Tuesday here as well. If you know, know of anybody who'd value a hot meal at this time of the year, please let Mark know. Christmas dinner, let Mark know and uh, sure we can cook another one. <laughs> I'm just going to read uh, from uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2 about the um, victory of Christ um, on the cross. Colossians 2 verse 13. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come today to worship you and to celebrate your death and resurrection in bread and wine, we thank you that you are risen, you are ascended, and you are victorious at the right hand of the Father. That on the cross, you triumphed over the dark powers and the forces of evil. You made a public spectacle of them because your death was the very means by which through your resurrections, the curse of sin would be lifted and our sin would be fully paid for. So Jesus, thank you that when Satan thought he'd done his best, you had another move and that move was resurrection. And that move was victory for us. And thank you that we are seated now with you in victory in the heavenly realms. And so we come with expectant hearts. We come, Lord, ready for an encounter with the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here among us. Come glorify Christ among us today as we sing, as we pray as we share in communion, as we come under the authority of your word. Let Christ be magnified and exalted among us today. And may we encounter him through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to worship King Jesus.
fight for me, loosing sinners from the claims of hell, and with a shout, our souls are free, death defeated by Emmanuel. Now he's standing in the place of honor, crowned with glory on the bring our praise, our adoration to Jesus, our Emmanuel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. As the Spirit leads you, please lead us. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Lord. To the people, he will feed his flock like a shepherd, and gather his lambs into his arms. Mm. He will drive his enemies from your land and bring peace to his people. Thank, Thank you. you, Lord, for your word. Yeah, bless you. Bless you, Lord. Mm. Yes. Sins, Lord, that every chain yes. was, was broken from us. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may we magnify you and rejoice in you. Yes. And we give thanks that your mercy carries on for us now and from generation to generation. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, that you brought light into mm. the darkness. Yes. Down Thank you. Yes. And we pray for those who are feeling the darkness at this moment. And we yeah. ask your light to shine ever more brightly yes. and just bring love and light and hope into lives that need your touch. Yes. Lord. Thank you that you are our Emmanuel, Thank God you. with us. Yes. Thank you, Lord. 
Yes, thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Amen. We take up the offering, please. Thank you, Mary. Jesus, you gave up the glory and majesty of heaven. And you took on human flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. You who were rich became poor for our sakes, that through faith in you, we might become spiritually rich and blessed with all the spiritual blessings of heaven through your spirit. And so Jesus, we give you back this money as we give you our lives as a token of our thanksgiving and devotion for all the blessing that you have poured out on us. Thank you that you took on our human flesh, God with us, so that you could pay for our sin, so that you could bring us back into relationship with the Father. Lord, take this money, take our lives, use them, that others would come to know Emmanuel, God with us. In his name, amen. Can I ask the... Uh, servers to come forward for communion um, if you're on zoom please have your uh, bread and uh, juice ready um, and uh, pauline is going to come us come and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread and the wine thank you Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate this season and around the world, the words glory to the newborn king are sung. We remember that the baby in the manger was the king who was born to die. Thank you that Jesus came into this world so that he could die in our place on the cross. 
Thank you for your offer of forgiveness, new life and a fresh start. As we gather together and share the bread and the wine, which represent his body and his blood, we also remember that Jesus is the risen King, the one who is enthroned at your right hand and who one day will return to reign. Help us to receive your gift of eternal life and help us to understand the greatness of your love and mercy towards us. Amen. Amen. John, in John chapter 1, writes of the incarnation of Jesus, of God in human flesh. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled in a human body, the presence of God in a real human body of flesh and blood. And so as we break this bread, we remember that the word became real flesh and real blood. And he feels our pain. He experienced every emotion that we experienced, every sadness, every sorrow, every joy. He even experienced temptation, yet he did not sin as we sin. And so as we bring our prayers to Jesus, he is not one who is remote and removed from us. He is the great high priest who empathizes with us in our weakness. He understands because he has lived in this frail human flesh. He understands our weaknesses, our sorrows, our joys. And so when we pray for people, as we will do around this table, let's remember that we pray to a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and with the weaknesses of others. And one who Hebrews promises offers grace and mercy and help to those who ask for it in prayer. And he does that through the person of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, the one who comes alongside to give us strength and power and grace. So we're praying to a God who is active through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we come around this table with faith and thanksgiving, and we come to pray for the world and those known to us, both in this fellowship and further afield, knowing and trusting that God will intervene and bring comfort, mercy, grace, and help. And so we break bread, remembering that the body of Christ was broken and sacrificed for our sin. And so we take the bread and we eat it. And we give thanks to Jesus for his broken body, sacrificed for our sin.
we remember that after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we remember that this cup also represents God's holy judgment, God's wrath on sin. And we remember that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus committed to drink the cup of God's judgment on sin, and he drank it down to the very dregs, to the bottom. And he did that for us. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the full punishment, the penalty, the judgment of death, the curse of death, when you died on the cross. Thank you that through your death, the judgment, the wrath of God is turned away from us. And instead, we receive by faith the righteousness of God. So as we drink, we thank you for this new covenant sealed on our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who writes God's law on our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, as we drink and help us to keep your commands. Help us to love you more, Jesus. Turn our hearts towards you in obedience and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. As we receive the cup, we'll hold on to our cups and all drink together as a sign of our unity in the body of Christ. So we drink this with thanksgiving for Christ's shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen.
And so we come to a, a time of open prayer. Um, this is where Tony gets fit again, <laughs> runs around with the microphone. If you're on Zoom and you'd like to pray, please do unmute and share. But let's bring the needs of uh, the fellowship and further afield to, to Christ, who loves to hear us pray and promises to give grace, mercy, and help to those for whom we pray. So let's come to pray with faith this morning, believing that Christ waits to bring intervention and healing and help. So please pray as the Spirit leads. Father, this morning we just ask you to come alongside Nigel yes. as he's desperate for your help, Lord. Mm. Father, we pray that you would restore his mind to order and, uh, Lord, provide some heat and some food. Yes. But, Father, he needs new accommodation. Yes. And it's getting urgent, Lord. We know he's quite near the top of the list, but, Father, would you just provide the perfect home mm. for him? Mm. one that he'll be comfortable in, yeah. one that he'll be able to get to the shops from and just restore his life again, Lord. Yes, Lord please. Father, we lift this dear man to you. Yeah. He's been saved and one of your family for many, many years, Lord. And uh, we just pray that you would show your mercy, yes. come alongside yes, and Lord. restore him. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes. Jesus, we just want to lift Ken Wright before you um, and his wife too and his family. Lord, as he comes to uh, the conclusion of his life, we ask, Spirit of God, that you would bring comfort and peace and strength to him. Lord, reassure him that he belongs to you and that he's heading for an eternal glory. Lord, for his wife, Jill, we pray too, Lord, that you would strengthen and comfort her heart as she um, is making this journey with him. Lord, thank you that there are so many Christians in that family. Lord, I just pray that through them, they would be a real source of comfort and peace and strength to Ken. But send your spirit, even now, Lord, as we pray, may he know, Lord, that he's held within your loving arms. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Surgery has taken place. And Lord, we would pray for your mighty healing hand to be upon her. Yes, Lord. Especially at this time of year when there is the busyness and time of celebrating your birth. We just pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage her too to do the exercises that she needs to do. Yes, Lord. And give her that strength for a full recovery. And we pray for Derek too, that you will, mm. that you will comfort him and give him the strength as he cares for her at home. We just yes. lift them both to you. In Jesus' name, yes. amen. Amen. Jesus.
Lord, we remember Adrian Cook, who's uh, really unwell, and uh, Leslie too. And uh, just ask, Lord, for your healing hand upon Adrian, that you'd restore him and, Lord, free him from this uh, flu that he's got. And uh, just, just lift the family before you, Jesus. Touch them in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we pray again for Ukraine. We pray for peace in that country. We, we think it's cold here, Lord, but it's nothing to what those people are going through at the moment. So we pray for all who are working for peace in that country and keep us persistent while we wait for our prayers and for your will to be worked out there, Lord. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yes. Those who have experienced loss this year and mm. for whom this festive period is one of sorrow and sadness and yes. um, just such heartbreak. Just comfort those who need your comfort, we pray, yes. and those who are separated from loved ones by dif distance too. Would mm. you draw near to those who need the comfort of your Holy Spirit? Yes. Amen. Amen. Father, I bring to you my dear husband, Ron. Mm -hmm. Father, I pray that at this time you would be close by him. And may yes. he know your closeness to him yes. because he is so faithful to you. He just remembers everything about you. Yes. And Father, I just pray that you would just be with him at this time. Just put your hand close to him that he will feel your very presence there. For I ask this in Jesus' name and thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we remember the uh, families of the uh, four boys who lost their lives just a few days ago up near Birmingham, Lord. Um, Lord, it's, we don't have the words to understand or explain, but Jesus, uh, you have the words of eternal life. And Lord, all we can do is to commend these boys into your loving arms. Lord, we ask that you would be with uh, Christians in that area of Solihull who are having to provide some hope and counsel. Lord, we pray for those taking funerals for these boys. Lord, we just pray that somehow you would give the right words to the um, people taking those services and involved with the families, that hope would come to those families. And that, Lord, something of your gospel hope would break through some light in the darkness. Lord, bring good out of this horror, we pray, for the glory of Christ. And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and that your word has power, that your word brings conviction through the power of your spirit. Lord, And we ask 
Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds and souls and spirits to your living word now. Help us, Lord, to understand it and help us, Lord, to receive it and to submit to it as your authoritative, powerful word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the reading this morning is uh, often used at uh, carol services, uh, Micah chapter 5, um, verses 1 to 5a. It's often read, um, but not that often preached on, which is one of the reasons that uh, I wanted to uh, preach on it this morning. But more than that, um, I believe that the Lord would remind us uh, about the spiritual battle uh, that we're in. And uh, this passage is very much about the spiritual battle that we face as Christians. So we read um, Micah's words in his prophecy to both Judah and Israel. He spoke this and said, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the, when the Assyrian invades our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. I don't know if you're aware of Satan's strategies. It's good to be aware of the ways that he works, and he works often through our minds. Um, I don't know if you've worked this out, but Satan is the father of lies. He's the accuser, and he loves to bring condemnation to Christians. He loves to, uh, to try to topple Christians and to cause them to wobble and to become discouraged, fearful, and doubting. Those are his tactics. And he often uses difficult circumstances and suffering um, to target Christians. In other words, on the back of suffering and struggles and setbacks, you will often hear a still small voice of Satan whispering discouragement in your mind. So, for example, just to get, how do I know this? Well, I'm, I'm a human being, right? I'm a Christian, so therefore I get the same spiritual attacks as you in your minds, right? Or at least some of them are similar. There are commonalities in the way that Satan attacks. So when things go wrong, when the wheels come off, when life is difficult and we go through trials and difficulties, these are the sorts of lies that Satan will often whisper into your mind. Has God forgotten you? Or 
you're not worthy of God, which is why things have gone wrong. Had that one? You with me? Yeah. Thank you. Just checking, your, it's cold in here, isn't it? <laughs> Let's, uh, maybe we should do some exercises, I don't know, but uh, stay, stay with me, stay with me, please. Or, if God loves you, would he really let you go through this? Ever had that one? Yeah. Or, are you sure God is really sovereign over your life and cares for you? Ever had that one? See, Satan loves to ask questions that accuse God of giving up on us, right? Didn't he do this right from Genesis chapter 3? Where he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? Yeah, that's how he works. He asks accusing questions, doesn't he? You notice that? Did God really say that you can't eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? Well, no, he didn't say that, actually. He said, you can eat all of these trees except that one. But Satan takes a little bit of uh, God's words and, and puts it out of context. In other words, he makes God out to be a kind of hard taskmaster who lacks generosity and who's just out to put Adam and Eve in a straitjacket and to limit their freedom. Have you noticed that's another tactic of Satan? He says he makes God out to be a kind of killjoy, a hard taskmaster, somebody who limits our freedom when actually God gives us freedom, doesn't he? Freedom within limits of obedience. But that's a true freedom. We're not just free to do whatever we want to do, because that has consequences. God's freedom is a true freedom. So those are some of the accusations and lies and strategies of the enemy. Um, if you hear a voice that makes you feel condemned, then that will be Satan. So we need to recognize the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, who knows us by name. And we need to recognize the voice of the enemy who will accuse and lie and try to bring us down and discourage us. So if you feel discouraged from a voice in your mind, that's going to be Satan because that's what he loves to do. He loves to condemn and cause you fear and doubt and discouragement. So what's the antidote to all of this? Well, the answer is prayer, actually. The answer is prayer. We don't always feel like praying, do we? Hello? You with me? I'm just checking. We don't always feel like praying. But when we least feel like praying, that's the time when we most need to pray. When we feel discouraged, when we feel weary, despondent, that's the very time when we need to pray, because that's the time that the accuser attacks, right? He reads us, he reads our faces and our downcast faces, because he can't read our minds, but he can look at our posture. He can look at those times when we're most vulnerable and tired and weary, and he can bring an attack to our minds, right? Only the Holy Spirit can read our minds and he will attack. 
And prayer is the weapon that enables us to hold on to trust and be victorious over Satan's schemes. Um, we see this in the passage, right? Let me, will you come on a journey with me in Micah? Is that all right? Yeah. Good. Let's go for it. Um, Micah prophesied at a time when the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken into exile by the mighty Assyrian Empire under the reign of King Sennacherib in 701 BC. The Assyrians didn't stop there. They then took all the fortified cities in the southern kingdom of Judah. And then Sennacherib thought, I need to take Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the capital city. It's a bit like uh, the Russians in Ukraine. They're, they're seeking Kiev, aren't they? It's the, it's the center, it's the capital of uh, Judah, Jerusalem. So they, King Sennacherib and his armies lay siege in 701 BC to Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah is on the throne and he's in a really hopeless situation, right? And most of his troops have been defeated and overrun in the surrounding fortified cities of Judah. Only a few hundred troops are left hold up in, in a siege situation in Jerusalem, the capital city. And against them, there are tens and tens of thousands of Assyrians laying siege to Jerusalem. This is not a good situation for Hezekiah to be in, right? And sometimes as Christians, we can feel besieged and overwhelmed by the work of the enemy. Anybody? We just feel overrun with events and circumstances. We feel too weak, too powerless, too helpless to fight against all the forces that are arrayed against us. Anybody been there? But King Hezekiah is an example to us of prayer and faith in the face of hopelessness and helplessness. He is mocked by the Assyrians. They mock him and say, your God can't save you now. He didn't save the northern kingdom of Israel. He's not going to save you lot. But what does Hezekiah do? Does he go, all right, hands up, you take us. Listen to two kings to hear what Hezekiah does. When King Hezekiah heard this, this mocking that is, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. In other words, he goes into prayer and fasting mode, right? He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. In other words, he prays, he fasts and he asks for God's prophet Isaiah to bring a word from the Lord. That's what he does. What's the first thing we do when we face trial and difficulty, struggle and suffering? Do we panic? Do we tailspin down into despair and doubt and fear? Or do we seek God in prayer and fasting? Do we look for God's word in the situation through his word, the Bible? Do we rest and wait on that word from the Lord in the silence? Or do we go into panic mode? Or do we seek to fix it and sort it out? 
The first thing we should do is the thing that Hezekiah did, pray, seek the Lord, and wait for that word, right? Now, obviously, if your house is on fire, you get out of the house, and then you pray. But in most situations, we pray and we wait for a word from the Lord. This is Isaiah the prophet's answer from God. You're going, hang on, I thought you were preaching about Micah. Yeah, bear with me. We're on a journey, all right? <laughs> Isaiah prophesies this, verse 6 to 7. Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you've heard. Interesting. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Wow. In other words, God says through Isaiah, don't listen to this false prophet. I'm going to cut him down. And do you know what happened a few chapters later? Well, God sent an angel against the Assyrian army. 185,000 of them were cut down. And the rest fled, and the king Sennacherib himself was killed by his two sons in his temple. The words of Isaiah were fulfilled very shortly afterwards. When God speaks his word to us, he is faithful and brings it to pass. But we have to be listening for that word. Um, here's one wonderful word to us in God's word, 2 Corinthians 10. Um, verse 3, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. So when those accusing, condemnatory thoughts from Satan come into our minds, we take them captive and we hold them up to God's word and we get rid of them by comparing them to God's word. And God's word will cause the accusation to have to flee. So when Satan says to us, does God love you? Does God still care? We hold up against that lie, scriptures like Romans 8, which say things like, um, Nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. And you will have your own fridge magnet favorite texts. But you need to, we need to memorize these, don't we? We need to know them so that we can get them out and use them as our weapons in the battle. So that we don't believe the lies spoken into our minds by the evil one. So now you're going, when's he going to speak about Micah? Aren't you? Thank you. How does the context of Micah's prophecy relate to what I've been speaking about? Well, Micah and Isaiah kind of prophesied at a similar time, right? It's just that Isaiah's prophecy was about, at this point, was about the immediate future of Sennacherib and Judah. Micah's prophecy is more long range, more distant. Micah is prophesying at the same time, but God has two levels of message. He has an immediate message through Isaiah, and he has a long-range message through Micah. 
And that long-range message was partly fulfilled a hundred years later when the Babylonians laid siege against Jerusalem again in 586 BC. But this time, God did not rescue Judah from the Babylonians. They were, the city and the temple were destroyed and they were taken into exile in Babylon. And so Micah's prophecy in verse 1 is about 586, 100 years further on, about the siege of Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian invasion. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. So Israel's ruler in 586 BC was struck on the, on the cheek with a rod. The city was destroyed. The people were taken into exile. Here's the clue. Verse 3, therefore Israel will be abandoned, right? They'll go into exile in Babylon for 70 odd years until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. What does this all mean? Well, it means that in exile, there will be a faithful remnant of God's people, Israel. And out of that faithful remnant, Israel will give birth to a son who will be a new future ruler. And verse 2 gives us a prophecy about this new ruler. We go back to verse 2, there is. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, is the region in which Bethlehem is situated. So don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses lead you a merry dance on that one. Bethlehem is situated in that area, okay? How do we know this? Well, Matthew tells us in the New Testament. Listen to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read this. I'm not putting it on the screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? In Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Quote, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There it is. So he will be a shepherd ruler. Verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. You see, out of the small remnant of Judah that ended up abandoned in exile was descended Jesus Christ from the line and tribe of David and Judah. Isn't that amazing? God had a plan. The other side of exile and abandonment, God's hope came through a descendant of King David, King Jesus 
the shepherd king. Um, you know in the Old Testament, of course, that the shepherd is a great metaphor for God's kingship and the way that he reigns. Kings uh, were called shepherds because as shepherds, they would feed God's people on God's word. They would lead God's people, just as a shepherd would lead his sheep to uh, green pastures and beside still waters. And he would protect the sheep from their enemies. He would watch over the sheep and look after them. David was a faithful king, but even he lapsed into serious, lapsed into serious sin, didn't he? And so the Old Testament prophesies an ideal king, a Messiah, a shepherd ruler who will shepherd God's people and not cause them to scatter, but to be gathered and cared for. And God always promised in 2 Samuel 7 that this shepherd ruler would come from David as a descendant. And out of Judah, David's tribe, came Jesus, the perfect shepherd king. And Jesus spoke of himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus loves us so much that he laid down his life on the cross to save us from our sins and to protect us from the evil one and from the powers of hell. He delivered us from death. He delivered us from Satan. He delivered us from the power of sin. And he brought us into the fold of his love and care. And he calls each one of us by name, just as a shepherd in the ancient world loved and cared for and protected and knew each of his sheep by name. So the good shepherd knows you by name and he calls you by name and he speaks hope and joy and care and his word and truth into your life because he loves you. And he died on the cross, triumphing over the dark powers and authorities. And he was victorious over them when he died and rose from the grave. The ultimate protection of God over our lives is that nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was forsaken and separated from the Father by our sin, nothing in all creation can now separate us from God. He faced down the powers of hell on the cross and he triumphed over them and made a public spectacle of them when he rose from the grave. Jesus protects us, he loves us, he cares for us, he leads us for eternity. And nothing, nothing can ever cause us to be separated from God's love. He will never leave us or forsake us because he's the perfect good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. So when Satan comes and accuses you of not being good enough, you point to the cross and you say, this good shepherd who knows me my name laid down his life for me. That's how much he loves me. That's how much I'm forgiven. We stand against the devil's lies in the power of the truth. I get passionate about this stuff because Satan doesn't go on holiday in the Christmas season. Have you noticed? He doesn't stop accusing us. He doesn't stop lying to us. He will sow doubt and insecurity and despair 
but we can stand firm on the rock of Jesus. And we can experience joy in the face of trouble and, and trial and suffering and temptation because Jesus has overcome. He's triumphed. We're in a battle, but we are overcomers with Christ. We're on the winning side. Satan is a defeated foe. He's like a defeated army in a war who knows that they're beaten, but they still battle on, trying to do as much damage as they can before they are finally destroyed. That's what he's like. So he'll still tempt us to sin. He'll still try to bring us down and discourage our faith. But we can stand firm in the strength and power of the Good Shepherd. We can listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd who calls us by name, who loves us and laid down his life for us. And we do that as we pray. So enjoy Christmas, delight in the good gifts of Christmas, especially Jesus, but take some time to be still and to pray. So especially in those times when you feel a little bit under attack, those times when Satan accuses you and says things like, it's all gone wrong because you're not worthy, you stand on the truth of Jesus and you tell him to flee because the good shepherd loves you and lays, laid down his life for you. You stand on the truth of the word and you stand strong in prayer. Because prayer is the way that all the other bits of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, feet the feet fitted with the gospel of peace, we put on the gospel armor with prayer. That's how you put it on. You can't just say, well, I've got the, the armor on if you haven't prayed. You pray it on, right? Because as you pray, you're saying to God, I need your power and strength to overcome. I need your protection, your armor, your weapons. And prayer is the greatest weapon. You know, Satan shudders when we pray. Hallelujah. Let's make him shudder as we pray. Let's pray more. Ask Jesus, the good shepherd, to protect you and feed you and lead, it, lead you this Christmas into a deeper experience of his truth and love. Ask Jesus, the good shepherd, to feed and lead you into a deeper experience of his righteousness and salvation. Ask Jesus, the good shepherd, to feed you and lead you into a greater experience of the peace that comes from the gospel. Allow space and time for Jesus, the good shepherd, to, to whisper the beauty of his truth into your mind. The truth that took him to the cross for you to lay down his life. The truth that nothing in all creation can separate you from his love. The truth that he gave up his life for you. The truth that he will keep you until the very end if you trust and continue in him by faith. The truth is that prayer has the power to demolish strongholds. But we need to take up that weapon of prayer and use it and wield it. Then we will be victorious. 
And then we can delight and enjoy God's presence and peace all the way through the Christmas season. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we're in a battle, but we're against a defeated foe. And he's defeated because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that we're on the winning side. And I pray, Jesus, this Christmas, that all of us would find those times when we can be still and rest and hear the wonderful, beautiful voice of the Good Shepherd calling us by name. Jesus, help us to find those times where we come against the lies and the condemnation of the evil one. And we stand firm on the rock of your promises to us in Christ. Jesus, help us to feed our minds with your truth this Christmas, to meditate on your word and to pray through your word. Lord, our heart's desire is to go deeper in love with you. Speak to our hearts this Christmas. Help us to love you more, good shepherd. And may we as your sheep be guided and led and fed on good pasture. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's only one song to sing, The Lord's My Shepherd, the newer version, isn't there? Let's, let's stand to worship Jesus. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me lie in pastures green. He leads me by the still, still waters. His goodness restores my soul. And I will trust in Your goodness 
I just felt the Lord just uh, whisper in my ear, as it were, good shepherd. There are people here today who are going, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There are people here today who are getting uh, that voice of Satan whispering, you're not good enough. You're not worthy of Christ. This is all going, this is all happening because of things that you've done wrong, things that you've, you've not done that God has abandoned you or forsaken you or let you down in some way. There are some of you who have got that accuser's voice lying in your minds today. You're going through really tough times. It's causing you to doubt. It's causing you to be insecure, to be fearful. And I would say to you today, respond. Respond to Jesus, the good shepherd who calls you by name. And uh, we have prayer team here who'd love to pray with you and stand with you in the battle today. So please don't rush away from this sanctuary area. Just remain here. If you'd like prayer, if you're going through difficult times and you'd like prayer, remain in here and a member of the prayer team or somebody near you will just come alongside and uh, pray with you that you'd be victorious and you'd be an overcomer. If you, if, you, if you want to go through for mince pies and coffee and tea, please do so next door. Let me pray. So Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that you will lead us home. And thank you that your goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Oh Lord, put joy into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>